what's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. By way of introduction, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. There are many ways we can work together. Check out elisecortez.com or gusto-now.com to learn how and, and to download some free resources I put up there for you. I do offer my listeners a 25% discount on my courses, so go to gusto-now for that information. And when you check out for the courses, just use the WOP20 discount for that. It's actually, sorry, it's a 20% discount. If you've been tuning in for a while, then you know this program is a thought leadership platform that enlightens and inspires listeners and viewers with insights from distinguished business leaders, authors, and subject matter experts. By listening in, you're part of the movement to create inspirational leaders and enlightening workplaces where we can thrive and do business that betters the world. Glad you're here. Now onto this week's program. With us today is Dr. Joshua Spodek, who is an executive coach, keynote, and three-time TEDx speaker, host of The Sustainable Life, daily blogger, and author and teacher of Initiative, a proven method to bring your passions to life and work. We'll be talking about this latest book, as well as his passion for sustainability, and where we can start to shore up problems in today's education system. He joins us today from New York City. Josh, welcome to Working on Purpose. Hey there, glad to be here. Isn't it great? It's so great to talk with people up to something in the world, doing amazing things. And you are certainly one of those individuals, Josh. Holy cow. How do I keep up with you? I love what I do. And I feel, you know, it, there was a big part of my life early on when I tried to do everything I could. And I wanted to, there's a lot of self-aggrandizement. And there's a big shift in my life that happened. I can't put my finger exactly when, when it switched to being in service of others. And that's changed a lot. Isn't it amazing? So, of course, in my work on purpose, that's a big component, right? It's when we are in service to others that we really are living in service of our purpose. And that's a key part of it. And so, um, and then, of course, underneath that is passion, which is one of your really important things to talk about. So I do want to open the conversation since we're talking about passion and just really living life, life to its hilt to talk about one of your most cherished passions, Josh, and that I understand to be the environment and sustainability. And you say in your TED Talk that everyone gets it wrong. What's, what do you mean? What's wrong? Well, since then, I've found more things that have gotten that people get wrong. But one of the biggest <laughs> things that people get wrong is that people think it's a burden, that it's a chore, that it's a sacrifice, that, you know, life is really about all these things that we have to give up in order to do for the environment. So, for example, um, I six years ago, I challenged myself to see if I could go for a week without eating or without buying any packaged food. And when I challenge myself to do that, I thought, surely I'm going to be giving stuff up. It's going to cost more. I'm going to have less variety. It's going to take more time. It's not going to be accessible for people who don't live you know, in the West Village like I do and have a farmer's market right there. All of that was wrong. And only after I did it could I find that I had more variety, spent less money, spent less time, connect more with my community, with my family. And 
the last talk that I gave before the pandemic was when I went up to the Bronx to show people up in a food desert. And I was invited by a single mom to show how to do there what it's totally possible. They just hadn't had it done. And everyone, I, every, when I say everyone, and myself before I tried this stuff, I would have thought, ah, I don't want to do that. Like I, I got how many restaurants within like two blocks of here. And now I, I, I mean, it's, it's easy to say like food is a passion of mine because I think it's for most people, but man, it's totally changed. And I had no idea how much more passion and love and connection and joy and community that it was that living unsustainably was holding me back from. Mm. That's so great, Josh. What a great way to start. I, I just had to start with passion, right? We all love passion and a lot of, a lot of people have access to it. Oh, you must be in New York. You must be in a city. I love it. The sound effects are great. Um, all right. So let's talk about one of your TED Talks, one of your three TED Talks. Um, I do aspire to do one one day, so you'll have to coach me when I when I when I get there. But the, the story that I that I love on, the, on one of them is how you came to embrace environmentalism and sustainability. Um, so will you tell us just the high? I mean, that's obviously a longer story, but tell us the high points of this story, if you will. You know, the one of the high points was what I just mentioned the the challenging myself to go for a week without packaged food, and I really thought that that was a sacrifice. The material change that came from it was the increased variety, the saving money, things like that. And by the way, I made it two and a half weeks and kept it going, not at zero, but the last, today is December 15th. The last time I threw out my garbage was something like December 20th, December 30th last year. So wow. I haven't yet thrown out my garbage. I'm going to hit a year in a couple of days. I have to check my calendar to see when it was. But the psychic change, the mental change was much greater because I came to expect that living by my environmental values would improve my life. And that was the opposite of what I expected. So that a couple of years later, when I saw uh, someone, a scientist talking about the effects of global warming, something like that, he said that flying New York, LA round trip warmed the globe about a year's worth of driving. Now, living in Manhattan, I don't have a car, I take public transportation. And I thought, oh, great, you know, I'm not polluting that much. And then I realized, oh, I am. And, you know, a lot of people will say what, what you do doesn't matter, but I, it's a matter of taking responsibility for my actions. Mm -hmm. And to me, leadership is, it's a matter of credibility to others, but a matter of integrity for oneself. So I challenged myself to go for a week would be too little. A month seemed too little. So I said, let's see, could I go for a year without flying? And immediately, like, like my, my gut is like, ah, you know, you got to make money. You got family, you got adventure and cuisine and all these things. And I thought, am I trying to live by my values or not? And so I challenged myself to go for a year without flying, really thinking, yeah, the restaurant, maybe that, the, the food stuff, maybe that would work, but this is serious stuff. And, you know, I had to cancel a couple uh, things I had going on in Europe and things like that. But then a couple months into it, I started not thinking about what I was giving up, but how to get the things that I used to think could only come from flying. So making money, connecting with family, uh, adventure, cuisine, things like that. And one by one, I started filling those things back in more than I'd given up. So two or three months in, I said, let's go for a second year. And now I'm soon to start my sixth year without flying. And, you know, it. a lot of people think, oh, it's easy for you. It's just, it was just as hard for me as for anyone. And it's, 
I, I've, I've stopped trying to put this into a way that people get it. I'm, I can only, I'm not going to try to get anyone else to think this way. Only experience I think can do it. But it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life that I, I've really uh, filled back in my life with more than what I thought. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of like how much I want to go into um, the change. And it's, you know, as it's happened, that led to the podcast, that led to the TEDx talks, that's led to working with all these corporations and um, the Nobel Prize winners and the McKinsey Global uh, Manager Director and all these people who've been on the podcast. People really want to talk about the environment and sustainability. They just don't want to be judged. They don't mm -hmm. want to be, you know, oh, you're greenwashing. Oh, you're not really authentic. And so I've discovered this area of leadership and sustainability that I didn't realize was there. And turns out it's an area of global demand, including at the highest levels of business. Mm. So I want to chime in this quickly because we talked about this when we first were talking about having you come on air. And part of the reason that you're, you're fascinated to me, one, you're just an incredibly fascinating human being who's really up to something in life. Um, but two, we share it, it in the sense that I, I grew up in Oregon, which is known as a tree-hugging, granola-eating state. Uh, we do care about the environment. We do care about conservation and preservation. Um, and then when I lived in Rio de Janeiro from 91 to 93, I had the chance to be part of the, the Rio Earth Summit and see people from around the world come together and talk about this. It was amazing. And then I wrote my my thesis um, for my master's on the deforestation and the economic, political, and social contributing factors to that. So I, I have an eye for this, and I have a heart for this. Um, but you have a whole idea that your I mean your commitment to sustainability and and, st and the stewardship is is really pretty profound. So will you say a bit more about that perspective? And also, if you want to talk about you know the leadership aspect of what's available there, then too, that's great. May I experiment with a way of putting it that I haven't said publicly yet? I've only said to friends. Please. I'd love to catch that. that. This is what I believe. This is my characterization of what, we, what passes for leadership in the area of the environment and sustainability these days. Okay, I'm ready. You walk into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And it doesn't have to be alcoholics. That's incidental to it, but you'll see how it plays out. And in front of the room is someone standing there lecturing everybody on the science of what alcohol does to the liver and how dangerous it is and how much damage it does. Mm -hmm. And telling people, and so therefore this is what you should do based on that science. Not connecting with the reasons that they do this, not connecting with the depression or the partying or whatever it is. Now, while they're saying this, they have in their hand a fifth of gin, which they are periodically <laughs> drinking from. And when someone <laughs> says, wait a minute, you're drinking, they say, don't pay, what one person does doesn't matter. Don't pay attention to me. We got that. That's just distraction. The government, the corporations, they're the ones who have to change and do what I say. And that person thinks that they're leading. They actually are leading, but not to get the people to do what they say, but to get the people to then learn about the science of what the alcohol, what alcohol does to the liver and then lecture to other people why they themselves also drink. And we have a world full of people saying, I'm an expert. Here's what you should do. I'm an expert. Here's what you should do. I'm an expert, here's what you should do. And the problem with the not stopping drinking is not that they're hypocritical. That's not the issue at all. And I wouldn't even see it that way. It's two big things. One is that they don't have any credibility. The other is that not having experienced it, they don't know one, what it takes to switch, to change. It's not a matter of just say no. Just say no while the person is drinking. It's when you change a, a habit and, and 
and sustainability means not just a, a habit here or there, but many habits, a lifestyle. It's you got to change your friends, you got to change the layout of your house, you got to change your diet, your sleep patterns, all these things. And you need support, you need lots of people around you. And no one's talking about that, no one's experienced that. The other thing that happens when you stop is that, say you drink and it's a big social thing, you're afraid that if you stop drinking, it's not going to be social anymore. Or maybe you're depressed and you think you're going to have to face these demons. Everyone sees the withdrawal, that what's they'll, what they'll lose when they give it up, when they give up the restaurants or the flying or, you know, the, I don't know, the polluting cars, all that stuff. They don't see on the far side of that, you know, they know the pain that's going to come. And they know that if they, all they do have to keep going back to what they were doing before and the pain goes away and they go back into having the fun. Past that, is a deeper and much more rewarding and longer term enduring joy. And me, for me, it's joy, community, connection, meaning, and purpose. And if you haven't felt it, you're just academically telling people a bunch of facts. Right. Yeah. There's my description of leadership and commitment on sustainability today. Uh, that's amazing. Well, one of the things that you talked about, and when we first spoke, is you know we do. You said in terms of leadership, we do have young Greta. Is it Th Thunberg or Thunberg? Um, but of course, we need more leaders. And so, what I want to want to get from you here before we go into our first break is briefly, what can leaders do to, to help steward sustainability? What can we do about this? You know, a lot of people think you have to be perfect, or else you're going to be called greenwashing or something like that. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to show that you're doing your best. But you have to do that genuinely and authentically. If you do it genuinely and authentically, you will show your flaws. But then people will respond to your flaws to help you, not criticize you, because they have flaws too. And they would rather see you make the mistakes, and then they can too, than to, if you strive for perfection, it's, no one can reach it. This is very hard to do but it's essential for leadership. And many leaders go, if you, if you go first with, say you're running some company, you don't wanna say your company's gonna become more sustainable. If you say, here's how great we are, and then follow it up, it's less effective than if you do it internally first, talk to your teams, say what, what, what's in your heart, why, what's driving you, then act, then start sharing. Don't make it a PR thing. That will come if, it, if, it's, if it's essential or important. Look in your heart. I mean, if you if you watch my TEDx talks, especially the first one, I talk about how first, what do you care about? How can you act on that? Even if it's small, because if it's big or small is less important than if it's coming from the heart. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, Josh, beautiful. And I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Before we got on air, we were talking about the importance of serving other people and that, mm -hmm. and, that and how fulfilling that is and, and the difference we can make in the world when we're actually focused on serving others. So the caring piece aligns for me with that. So beautiful way to take us into our first break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We were on the air with Dr. Joshua Spodek, who is an executive coach, keynote, and three-time TEDx speaker, host of The Sustainable Life, daily blogger, and author and teacher of Initiative, a proven method to bring your passions to life and work. We've been talking about his passion for sustainability. After the break, we're going to talk about some of the problems in our educational system. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. I'm very excited to share with you that thanks in part to the pandemic, I got my first book out. Um, Purpose Ignited is now available on Amazon. And I have to say, I don't think that I would have gotten it done in the time period that I did without this sort of forced shutdown and focus. I wrote the book really to, to transform leaders um, or the readers into inspirational leaders. And the whole idea is to help them awaken passion in the workplace and to create a place that people actually want to come to work. So I hope you enjoy it. And thanks for reading. If you're just joining the program, my guest is Dr. Joshua Spodek. He's the host of This Sustainable Life and the author of Initiative, a proven method to bring your passions to life and work, among many other distinguishing contributions and achievements. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So Josh, amazing man about the planet that you are. Um, this next segment, I wanted to talk about the education system. And um, as we do this, I want to first call out a couple of things about you that I think make you sort of quite interesting to talk to about education. You seem to be quite qualified to, to speak on the subject in that you have a PhD in astrophysics. I mean, that's amazing already. And an MBA. And I think I remember you have some other degrees as well. Is that right? Well, I, yeah, I put that at five Ivy League degrees. So I got my undergrad degree is one other. And then on the way to get a PhD, you get a master's and then something called an MPhil. So over there, I have my five diplomas. Well, so so here's, as a person who has been also going to, to school my whole entire life, um, I, I wanna know what, what what's behind the pursuit of all this education? Where does that motivation come from? Where's that thirst come from? The PhD in physics was a love for physics. And the love for physics is, you know, a lot of people associate physics with, um, I don't know, people in lab coats with lots of equipment. And, you know, I helped build a satellite that's up in orbit right now. But that's the means to the end. The end is really discovering nature at a more deeper level, the symmetries, the beauties. It, I love looking at a rainbow, but I, I love even more knowing how the refraction works and how the different, that to me, there's a beauty underneath it that the more that I looked, the more that I found. And so I just kept pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. The MBA came, well, ultimately, I didn't like the practice of physics, of, of being a graduate student, and then I didn't want to go to a postdoc. And besides, I had an idea for this company, so I went off and started a company with a friend, and we were very successful. Well, we had our ups and downs and ups and downs, but I got squeezed out by the investors during a recession, and that was very painful. Mm -hmm. And I knew that there was a lot that I was missing from business. And so the MBA was to fill in what I, what I was missing. Mm -hmm. I just appreciate where your your heart has led you and, and all that matter. And regarding education, since, since it is a really important part of my world and, and what I hope to be contributing to it, I wanted to talk about really what's what's sort of problematic about it. And one of the things I learned in a previous um, radio conversation with Steve Brown, who's the author of The Innovation Ultimatum, he told me and says in his book that our educational system is extremely outdated and it was actually formed to teach people to move from the farms to, to factories. 
what's your perspective on our system and does that align with how you would describe it? Yeah, I've certainly heard that description and it sounds, I haven't really looked up the history, but yes, a lot of our educational system was designed to make a uniform output of people that could be productive units in society. And it was at a time, I think it came from the German system of you know making people who could effectively work in factories. And before that in farm, I don't think you really needed to know a whole lot of trigonometry, I'm not sure. Yeah. And then at one point they wanted people who knew roughly the same thing. And you know, you wanted factories with uniform parts. And so the people were parts of those factories. So you wanted uniform that. And then it got institutionalized. And so my I got basically the same structure, the style of education that I presume people did a hundred years before. The world had changed. So extremely outdated. Yeah. I mean, now I have to say that there were people thousands of years ago teaching the way I think is effective. And there were people today, you know, at, at all times people taught unproductively and productively. It's just right now the the mainstream American educational system is really not about, at best it will teach you like sh to understand Plato's views on values and compare and contrast them with Maya Angelou's, but it won't teach you to learn your values and how to act on them yourself. And ultimately one, you don't know what they are. Two, we have, a, we have all these people who are doing what they're told and they don't realize, you know, as a coach, it's great. I get a lot of customers, but I'd rather <laughs> they, they had the passion and knew how to act on it in their own lives anyway. Yeah, completely agree. And, and you have a, a very interesting bit in your book. And of course, as you know, I read your book cover to cover um, and I loved every single bit of it. Um, but I want you to speak, if you would, to this bit in your book where you say, quote, the academic information schools teach is nice, but the behavior they teach is compliance. Writer and former Yale professor William Diversovitz, I'm not sure how to say yeah, that. I don't know how to say it, yeah. Aptly titled his book on what results from creating compliant people filled with facts, but not social and emotional development, excellent sheep. Yeah, it's one of the best titles for books I've ever come across, excellent sheep. <laughs> I mean, are we producing excellent sheep or what? Mm. I had, after I graduated from business school, I, you know, I really had grades, I, leadership classes, I did not expect, I never heard of them until business school. And I didn't think, you know, I saw Martin Luther King and figured, well, he does that. I can't do that. I'm not going to be a leader. And then I learned you could change these things. Mm. Except I learned through case study, reading and writing papers, analysis. And when I went into the world, I thought, I'm going to go in this situation. I'm a great leader. And I go in and I don't know what I'm doing because <laughs> I haven't practiced. I haven't rehearsed. I haven't, you know, learned. And at the time I was watching Inside the Actor's Studio a lot, mainly because I found it entertaining. I really enjoyed watching it. And then this weird pattern hit me that, uh, do you ever watch a show? It's had all the greats of like De Niro and Street. What's it called again? Inside the Actor's Studio. No, I'd love to, thank you. Oh yeah, it's, uh, um, it's been around for a long time. And I mean, think of a great actor, producer, director, they've all been on it. Mm, okay, thanks. And. I kept noticing, and, and it, it's very in-depth. I've actually seen it recorded live. It's like a five-hour event that's cut down into an hour, maybe 90 minutes. Over and over again, these actors whose social-emotional skills were off the charts, incredible. Over and over again, they would say they dropped out of school, they were kicked out of school, they never went to school in the first place. You know, they, Maybe they didn't even finish high school. And I kept thinking their skills on things that are relevant to leadership are way higher than these people in the Ivy League business school who are supposedly at the top of the game. How can I reconcile that the people who are the best at it had the least education? And what I learned was that they didn't stop learning. 
they switched from ac what you know what I would call academic classroom learning into this other style of active experiential learning that developed skill not just you didn't just when I was in school I learned about leadership when I started learning that style I started learning to lead it's a difference between art appreciation and learning how to make art mm -hmm. I learned leadership appreciation Yes, yes, yes. So, so under that, this is so interesting, and I love this. I just, I, I was so looking forward to having you come on and talk about this because I think it's so important, and it speaks directly to what you and I both care about in terms of what binds us around passion, meaning, and purpose. But you also say in your book, and I'd like you to speak to this if you would, you talk about how Greg Whiteley, who's the director of the documentary Most Likely to Succeed, described her educational system leading its most successful students to choose safe and predictable routes, um, studying safe and predictable subjects, losing touch with their passions, jettisoning ambition and replacing asking what do I love with what does the teacher want me to do and how can I give it to them yeah I hope you safe and predictable and my word nice I hope we're picking up the damning with faint craze here because yeah. <laughs> you're not going to get any total rejects out of this but you're not going to get any people discovering themselves people being themselves I think he one of the things he said in the interview where that came from was that there's all these people who come out of the top, I mean, the people especially come out of the top schools with the top degrees, they, they know how to do what they were told. And so when they get hired to do something new, he says, you know, over and over again, he would talk to people at the top levels of, of various companies and they'd say, you know, hire this person. And I'd say, we got this project, we hired you to do this really difficult thing, go at it. And the person says, okay, what should I do? <laughs> you see like, that. <laughs> and this hit me, you know, I. When I was in graduate school, I would go to my advisor. I, you know, I wanted to be an Einstein. I wanted to be the next Richard Feynman or the next, you know, Galileo or Newton. All I knew how to do was to ask my advisor what to do, and he would say, "Well, do anal analyze this supernova remnant, or you know, analyze this piece of hardware." And I would, and then I'd come back and say, "Okay, I did it. What next?" And yeah, you know, my life is total opposite now. I mean, now people tell me not to do what I'm doing. It's ah, you can't make a difference in the world on sustainability. You know, that ship has sailed too too long ago. I'm like, I'm going to do it, and it's, I, I value a lot of what I learned in school, but a lot of it was factual recall and analysis and planning. And I found that I've learned, you know, I've, I've just changed my model now. A, a lot of what I learned the most is I say, I don't know how to do this. That's why I will do it. Yes. Oh, I love that. Oh. There's, I don't know if you saw the movie, The Martian. It's one of my favorite movies for this style of thinking and doing and learning. Mm -hmm. In the beginning of the movie, Matt Damon plays this character and he's on Mars and there's a colony there. And there's like a windstorm or something and, it's, and like everyone dies and he, I'm not giving anything away, but it's just him and his suit is leaking oxygen. And, you know, first he's got to fix a suit. If he doesn't fix a suit, he can't do anything. Okay, he fixes a suit, but now he's got to get somehow back to the, 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 the place. And then once he's there, he's got to figure out how to do it on his own. Now he's got to figure out, that'll get him like a, like a week, but then he's got to figure out how to grow food. That'll get him like a month. They just got to figure, figure out that. The way that most people talk about what I'm doing now, leadership in the area of sustainability, people say, Josh, you know, we can't save everything. It's almost as if someone said, Matt Damon or his character, you got to, you, you don't know how to get to earth. Why bother fixing the suit? And you got, the only way you can get to the next thing is you got to fix this thing. And then you fix the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. That's not the only way to do things, but getting things in leadership I mean, in an area where everyone wants clean air, clean water, clean land, most people don't know how to get there. My definition for leadership is help others do what they want, what they already wanted to do, but haven't figured out how. 
Mm, that's brilliant. I love that, Josh. Say it again, please. Leadership is helping people do what they've always wanted to do, but haven't figured out how. Mm. So it's helping. I have to listen to them to find out what they want. In the area of the environment, different people want different things. So I have to ask them. I have to listen. I have to behave and communicate so that they expect that I will support them and not judge them so they can share what they feel vulnerable about, what they care about. And then I can help them achieve those things. Different for everyone. Some people, it's mercury in the fish. Some people, it's global warming. Some people, it's plastic. Although once they start acting, they realize how it connects and then they can do more things together. Mm-hmm. Mm, so it's so brilliant. Um, by the way, I think you are our next Galileo. So let's just go with that. Okay, let's just claim that. Um, <laughs> I, all right. Yeah, do you, you know, mind, you know my vanity. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's just go with it, right? I always tell my, my coaching clients, yeah, there's power in declaration, right? We're declaring it into existence. So there it is. And I can, argue. Right, I can say it first. It's easier if I say it than if you say it. So, you know, this is an outside opinion who's, who's judged you and said that you're the next Galileo. So let's go with it. Um, That's my word against yours. Right, okay, good. Don't argue with me. Um, all right, so before we go into the break, I want to tee this up here because it'll t- help us talk about what we're going to talk about after the break, which is what you care about in terms of experiential learning. But you talk about how classroom learning doesn't help you develop the social and emotional skills underlying initiative and entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial success or personal development. So I want you to, if you can, kind of cue up for us. Why is this system seemingly so resistant to change and continuing in this vein when it isn't working? I mean, Sorry, how much time do we have, right? Certainly there's a lot. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's a lot of, of um, inertia. There's a lot of bureaucracy. I mean, most teachers at, at, the, at the below high school and below, they learn how to teach, but they don't necessarily know the subject. College and above, they tend to know the subject, but not, might, might not know how to teach. And the intersection of these things is very important. Uh, <laughs> I had so many students who would tell me, I've never taken a class like this. The, how much time do I have? Um, about a minute, a minute and a half. So I'll start that here's a pattern that would happen to me, in, especially in my initiative class, is that I would start them off with, you have to come up with a project that you're going to work on. And it has to be in an area of interest to you. All the time people would pick, it's their interest mixed with what their parents want, what's in the news, what they think will make a lot of money, what their friends think is popular. And so they always, they're, they do it for a little while and then my rule is you can switch to something new if you want, but if you do, you have to start from scratch. You have to go back to the early, you have to do all the steps. Mm-hmm. Now, when they do those steps the second time, it's much faster and they get much more out of it because it's doing something they care about. Always, when they switch, it's always to something like more. And it's almost always something that they're like, I can do that. I can work on that. But I thought that that wasn't what, you know, what, they, what was expected of them. They mm. thought it wasn't, you know, I can do something I care about. Mm. They never had that. No one, you know, here's what's important. Here's how to show what's important. Here's how to show what you know. Here's when to show it. Here's, you know, everything's told to you. And the only way you can learn your values is to butt up against, you know, everyone values family. Everyone values um, uh, personal growth. What happens when you have to choose between family and personal growth? then you realize what your values are. Mm. If you just write about that, you can write a good paper and get a good grade, but you haven't learned your values. Mm. Beautifully said, and I completely agree. 
With that, let's take our second break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We are on the air with Dr. Joshua Spodek, who is an executive coach, keynote, and three-time TEDx speaker, host of This Sustainable Life, daily blogger, and author and teacher of Initiative, a proven method to bring your passions to life and work. We've been talking about what's missing in the educational vein and department. After the break, we're going to hear about his approach to learning and development and finding our passions. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you haven't discovered it yet, we've launched Gusto Now, which is an a transformation e-learning platform featuring the signature vitally inspired living and leading from purpose program that I created a couple of years ago and other professional development courses. We do them in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. And I do offer you listeners and viewers a 20% discount. You just need to be able to check out with WOP 20 when you come out on the, on the, on the closing end. See you in class. If you're just joining us today, my guest is uh, Dr. Joshua Spodek from New York City. He is the host of the This Sustainable Life and the author of Initiative, a proven method to bring your passions to life and work, among many other distinguishing contributions and achievements. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this last segment here, Josh, I really want to dive into what I what I really would say is the is the the, the gist of your your book and, and really how it is that you teach, which I think is just so fresh and so so profound. So first, you are a proponent of active experiential learning, like you said before in the last segment. So first of all, what does that mean? And I also want to know what's missing in our general education system from that. So we've already, we've already surfaced some of that, but I want, I want you to distinguish why is the active experiential learning so different and important and profound? Well, I have to say that it's not something I developed entirely myself. I mean, the roots go back to John Dewey, Maria Montessori. Uh, so I didn't make this stuff up. And one of my big influences was a longtime friend who's the founding principal of a high school in Philadelphia called the Science Leadership Academy, Chris Lehman. And, you know, he once, when he, when he was a teacher before he became a principal, he told me that he, I think he gave one test in his entire teaching career. I was like, how can you not give tests? And I used to think, even if you, even if it's a better technique, you have to, you have to prepare kids to be out in the world. And then it hit me, wait, wait, there are no tests in the world. You can't, if you're a salesperson, you can't go in and say, oh, I don't know how to sell this stuff. Just give me a test. And if I do well, you'll buy my product. You have to connect with people. And this empathy is, when I first started teaching, before I started developing this and, uh, and getting what I was talking about, I would sit down and I think I did what most people do. It's like, I know this information. How do I organize it and present it to them through lecture and reading and things so that they will know the information that I have? And once they have the information, they will know what to do with it. That there's a certain logic to that. I know you don't. I give you information. Now you know. That theory that hasn't played out in practice so well. Now, what I find is much more important now is I have to imagine first 
what could, what's, why are my students here? What are they looking for? I happen to teach, they're always elective, so they've chosen to be there. And so I should think, I have to think of how can I get them to share what motivates them, what brought them there in the first place, so that I can deliver to them what they, a way for them to act on that. Now I have to give them structure. I have to give them, I would call it scaffolding. I have to give them a, some basics so that they can start acting. But then c to combine what they care about with something that could serve others so that they can have a project to work on and start applying those skills on something that they care about. As I said, usually they pick something that is a mix of what they care about with what they think the world cares about. You'd be amazed at how many of my students would pick a blockchain app yeah. as like the thing <laughs> that they would work on. And it changes with time. And it's possible that like everyone in the room actually really loves blockchain apps, even though blockchain and apps didn't exist when they were, you know, when they were growing up, but more likely, you know, it's in the news. Mm -hmm. And the second time the, if they switch, it's usually something that's much more from their heart and they, they go much more into that. And that's when they start telling me what they're doing. And I start learning from them because they learn more than one of my students. She said, after I took your class, I, I didn't want to do entrepreneurship before. And now I started getting really interested in it. So I went to and took this other class in entrepreneurship. And she's like, she goes, this is so flattering when I hear stuff like this. She says, they were just telling me stuff that I learned on the way to do stuff for your class. <laughs> I already knew those answers. I could look that up on myself. I don't need, a, I don't need to, like an NYU professor to tell me that. So that was very flattering. It, if you motivate them, which, you know, if, if you connect with something that they care about, and that means you have to support them, you have to empathize. Then, and I, I hope if there's any past students, I hope I've delivered with them. I, I'm not perfect, but then they do it for their own reasons. Mm -hmm. I want to share with you that after I read your book, um, I was having a conversation with my 17-year-old daughter who's a senior in high school, and she says, "Mama, this." they've just, they've thrown out the whole, all the tests for the end of this year. And instead they're going to make us do projects. I'm like, hooray, that's fantastic. Who tests are not going to help you. And she goes, yeah, I agree with you, except that I don't know what the projects are going to be. And I, but I was just like so excited because I'd read your book and I, I'd understood just kind of what was missing and you helped me understand it. And, and, and now of course she gets that chance to be able to, to teach through her projects, what it is that she cares about. So thank you, Josh, for alerting both of us. You've got, you've got two, two, two uh, new people to the movement. I love when a reader tells me I introduced it to my kid. I, I think as young as 13 have done it, have gone through and done the exercises in the book. The book is fantastic. And that you gave all the exercises was so generous, Josh. Beautiful. So definitely, definitely worth picking up. Um, and, and of course, one of the things that I want to talk about next, which I think is just so useful in how you did this, is you distinguish that life has many passing fancies. Mm -hmm. some meaningful interest and a, and a few life passions which are rare and endearing. So, of course, I want to get your perspective. Why is passion so important to focus on and develop? I have my own theory, but what's yours? Well, to me, passion, a passion, a lot of people associate it with like romance movies and things like that. Well, there's that side of passion. But for me, it's what you care about most, what drives you. And that's what motivates you. If that's what keeps you going. Passion for me generally means it's deeper, more complex, more nuanced, uh, more enduring. And now it has to merge or it has to overlap with what someone else finds value in. Right. So if you're just doing it for yourself, you're not going to get very far. If you're, but if you're passionate about it and you're benefiting someone else. And so a lot of the exercises in it are to get advice from others, get other people's views. And that changes very quickly. You start from your passion, but listening to others and getting advice from others quickly 
you find how it, it's it's inevitable that we as social creatures, what we care about will be something and somehow we're not going to be the only one who cares about these things. And we'll find a community that, you know, if we're going in the direction of entrepreneurship, that will financially reward us for these things. But it could be, you know, my, my podcast is not, it's not a financial thing. It's, it's a, a huge passion. Right. And people really relate to it. And that's inevitable. Mm-hmm. That, because they're relating to your passion. So let's grab a quick question here from one of our listeners who's asking, what movement is that you're, ta- that you're talking about? So what I was referring to, thank you, listener, for engaging, engaging with us. What I, was, what I was referring to is, what I'm pointing to is, is Josh's work in active experiential learning. So do you want to weigh in on that real quick, Josh? I call yeah. that as a movement, so I'm, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, project-based learning, there's a lot of different ways to put it. I, I generally think of it as project-based learning. And when I first, I remember going to a conference, an educational conference, and I was like, what's a project? What's inquiry driven? <laughs> and the people started telling me, and I had to learn, I, I learned actually by my very, uh, I'm gonna tell you a story. When I was at that conference, I was, it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and on Wednesday, I was gonna teach entrepreneurship at NYU. And I'm like, what's a project? What's and they started telling me, I was like, this makes a lot of sense, just very quickly. And the people there were all project-based educators. So I thought, I'm gonna do it this way this semester. I got two and a half days with all of these experts. I'm gonna find it and I'm gonna rewrite my syllabus in this time. And so like Sunday, I'm taking the train back to New York and I'm, I'm like filling the details of my syllabus. Wednesday, I taught. That semester, I got almost the highest reviews from students in the school. And it was up there with like, you know, tenured professors who've been teaching the same course for decades. And I would like to say it was me, but it was really this style of learning because the students, you know, at a certain point I stepped back and just let them go. Mm -hmm. And I can't, and I, you know, as I say, I did not create it. This is a movement that began long before me. It's, um, I'm just swept up in it. It's, to my knowledge, it's much bigger in K to 12 than at the university and professional level, but that's where I'm bringing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you for that. So now I want to talk about how you focus on problems to be solved. I think I thought it was really refreshing how you you told us that it, you it, the focus on getting clear on the problem to be solved, not fixating on creating the solution, um, and that your system involves soliciting that the perspective of people who have the problem you are out to address. I thought that was just brilliant. Can you say more about that? Yeah, in entrepreneurship, the venture capitalists they're very happy for everyone to come up with lots of solutions because if they invest in a lot of them, a couple will be big hits and they'll make a lot of money. But wait a minute, what about the people whose things don't work out? Not so great for them. So my business is not to make money off of a couple of big hits. I wanna help my clients, my students. So I want to help them change as a person. I wanna help them develop and grow. If you start with a solution, you get very vested and, and you get very attached to it. Yep. And sometimes your idea of the problem is not the other people's idea of the problem. And so you're trying to get them to buy your thing, but it's not, it's square pegs in a round hole. Whereas if you focus on the problem, if you understand, if you're constantly spending your time talking to people, can you tell me what this problem is? What's this problem in your words? What's the emotion that you feel? Because if they're desperate, that's different than if they feel helpless. And that's different than if they feel frustrated. Yeah. And those could be all be different solutions. And if you work on those things, then people open up more and more of what their problems are. And the more that they share their problems, you get you basically, they write your sales copy for you. And all you have to do is repeat back to them, is this it, is this it, is this it? And they'll tell you, no, 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 it's this, it's this, it's this. And then they'll start putting you in touch with people who also have that problem. They'll, and 
Because if they if they see you as a problem understander and therefore problem solver, I mean, who doesn't? I if if you come into my life, and then I have fewer problems, I want you in my life. Right. Oh, here's I say that I'm going to give away one of my favorite jokes in the course is that uh, <laughs> there's a technical term in business when you talk to valuable people in a field, and and the exercises build up starting with friends and family, but working up to how to speak to the most valuable people. There's a technical term when valuable people in the field tell you their problems. Do you know what that the technical term is? Um, when, 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 valuable, when valuable people tell you their problems. Yeah, like people who are founders and CEOs and uh, it's heads a, of corporations. It's a, it's a secret. It's a, a, it's a coach. Uh, well, it, it's, a, it's truth. It's The technical term for when people with resources, for valuable people, when they tell you their problems, the technical term for that is a job offer. Oh, I wasn't going to get there. Thank you. They might not they might not have known that they were saying it. And if you didn't know how to respond, you wouldn't be able to turn it into a job offer. But it when they tell you the problems, they want to be, they want you to help solve them. And if you if you can show that I can solve problems like that, they want you around. Mhm. Lovely. That's just beautiful. That's that's just such a great way to serve up how we can be useful to other people when you get people to, to talk to about their about their problems. Absolutely makes so much sense. And of course, I guess that is what we're, what we are we are doing when we really peel back the the onion here. Okay, so now we have to talk about your your method initiative. Um, you've created this beautiful program, and you've brought several cohorts through the program. I don't know how many people have come through, but it seems that you are doing your part to give people access to developing their passions while also creating more initiative takers and entrepreneurs. That's what it seems like to me from the outside, having read your book. So first, is that right? And if so, what do you aspire to do? What do you want? What are you trying to create or contribute to society by doing this? Well, I could I could answer generally, and I'm going to get more specific because since I've written that book, the environment has remained front page news. Uh, and from a, a personal perspective, a lot of people say, you know, the government should do stuff, corporations should do stuff, but what I do doesn't matter. I want to unpack this phrase here for a second. Anything that has the phrase, what I do doesn't matter. This is a deeply profound statement. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't want to like, it's really a powerful statement. Imagine your parents saying it to you. It's okay. What you do doesn't matter. <laughs> wow. And yet we have a nation and world full of people feeling what I do doesn't matter. Now it's, it's in many areas of life. A lot of people feel frustrated. They feel like, you know, I just got to keep my nose down and, you know, do what I, I can to get my kids through college. And they feel that if they do what matters, it, it, they, if they do what they care about, it won't matter. And I do not want people feeling that way. In the area of the environment, I can tell you, I don't know if you can see on the board, systemic change begins with personal transformation. Mm. Is I've discovered that over and over again. And I also discovered in the great historical figures that have done dramatic things like changed entire nations' cultures in very short periods of time. What I want to bring to the world is this sense that what I do matters from experience, not because I said it, not because you heard the word somewhere, but through personal experience of doing something, developing the skills, not just factual recall or analysis and planning, but connecting with people, finding out what they care about, acting on that so that they, you know, if it's entrepreneurship, they're like, here, take my money. If it's changing your community, if it's with family, that people find you a valuable person that they want to elevate themselves. By knowing you, they elevate themselves. By you knowing them, you elevate yourself. It, 
maybe this sounds like highfalutin talk, but one, people doing the exercises in my book generally get hired or at least several job offers before they get to the 10th exercise. Wow. I, I started to record when I was doing it. I, I, I asked a friend, can I walk you through these exercises? I'm going to record our conversation so I can put it in the, on the site and so that people can get these recordings. And we did it in like the eighth exercise, he got a job. And I was like, and he's like, sorry, I'm not going to finish the courses, the, the course because I've already got the job. And I was like, oh, I got work to do. Okay. I got to go. Yeah. So I, I asked someone else to do it. And the same thing happened with him. And one student, an NYU undergrad, he, um, he worked at some company and they said, you know, as an undergrad without a college degree, there's a limit to what, there's a, the next job up from yours you need a, a degree for. And so they voluntarily said, we've made an extra position, a new position between those two so we can promote you. Wow, that's amazing. Um, with that, we're really out of time. Do you, have, do you want to leave something with the listeners who say in about, say, 10 seconds? But such a powerful way to finish right there. Um, you know, check out the TEDx talks. Go to joshuaspodek.com. And in yep. the upper right corner, see TEDx or listen to the, to the, uh, pod, the podcast. And all my stuff is there. I was, um, I'll give that to him as well. Thank you, Josh. It is fantastic to have you on the show. You are an inspiration. I, I'm following you now. You can run, but you can't hide, because I'm, I'm after you now. And I'm a pretty fast runner, so look out. Um, listeners, if you want to learn more about Dr. Joshua Spodek, as he said, his books, his show, his program, his other works, anything like that, start by going to his website. It's joshuaspodek.com. Let me spell that for you. It's Joshua, J-O-S-H-U-A, and then Spodek, S-P-O-D-E-K.com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via a recorded podcast. We were on there with Cynthia Forsman talking about culture talk, the work that she does, and learning about how discovering how our, our archetype as individuals, leaders, and companies gives us clarity and a powerful story narrative with which to engage relationships in business and in our personal lives. It's a really powerful conversation, and she did talk about all 12 of her archetypes. You can maybe discover yours in the conversation. Next week, we'll be on the air with Tim Spiker talking about his book called The Only Leaders Worth Following. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose. Let's work on purpose.